Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast. Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And, uh, okay, so the only smack talk I really got, which ain't going to take more than about 30 seconds here, I hit a new personal record on deadlift this morning. Oh, would you hit? 500! <laughs> is that why you, who are never late, was like, I may be 10 minutes late, took you longer to walk to the car, kind of staggering? <laughs> Pretty much, man. I mean, so when the kids are out of school, like our schedules are all jumbled up. And oh, it's so, heaven, isn't it? Like, for me, not as good mm. because like I uh, I like to see the kids before they leave for school. So that means I got to get up early enough to like be heading to the gym right as they're leaving for school. And then I can see them. But when there's no school, it's like, eh, I don't need to get up so early. Yeah. I can wait a few more minutes in bed. I can take five more minutes oh. in the shower, you know. So that was that was today. It was like, uh, you, you know. shower pre and post workout. I shower pre and then I let my pheromones just soak over me the rest of the day and let everyone around me just enjoy my my manly smell. I like that. Which is what it is. I mean, yeah. you can't. This help is the smell go. of a of a hunter. <laughs> you just you can't be around me and, and not feel like you're in the presence of a real man. A man, yeah. What what is that when I'm around Pete that I sense that makes me feel bad about myself, but really good about Pete? It's warrior man smell. That's what it is. All right. Well, I dig that. I don't have that, but what I do have. I mean, I mean, I well, well, I will say this for everyone who does work out and do deadlifts. It was on a trap bar and I was using straps. That so bar hard. looks like it's bending. Is that that's not 
it's not bending. That's the design, no. right? Yeah, it's the trap bar is designed so you basically stand inside of it. Oh, okay. All right. That what could go wrong? <laughs> Nothing so, actually. No. Oh, well, good. Good shows what I know. Well, look, I I did not do any of those things, but I do I do have my ninja shirt, uh, my Shokusogi uh, ninja shirt on today, which uh, Brandon Brooks. That's for you. Uh, this is from. Um, Oh gosh. Um no ninja uh ninja I don't know. Ninja Warrior Ninja Knight Nine or something. I don't know. Some B ninja flick that Shokusagi's in, but um I'm pretty proud of this shirt, I gotta say. I, I don't I don't splash out for t-shirts like this normally, but uh it's pretty cool. So hey man. But we're going to get into our topic in that case, which is cancel culture. I mean, Pete, you and I got on here in 2014 and podcasted before cancel culture was a thing, then continued to podcast through cancel culture, the B-Tube movement, all these things. And now cancel culture is even more of a thing than it was then. So the question is, I know a lot of people are like, okay, how do I navigate cancel culture and still be faithful to preaching the word of God? How do I still remain, as Paul said, a servant of the Lord and not a man pleaser? Paul just lays it out. If I'm trying to please men, I'm no longer a servant of the Lord. So how do we enter into that in this cancel culture culture? and navigate those minefields what do you think i don't i don't know i mean that's a tough one because i mean the way cancel culture is it's so ridiculous in so many ways like we're literally going back and like looking at what someone said in the 90s and like trying to get them to apologize or shut them down today because of something they said in the 90s i I literally think back over you know 11 years of podcasting. (laughs) I mean, the crap that I have said on this podcast (laughs) should have got me canceled if people actually listen to the podcast. (laughs) But but not enough of the cancel culture people listen to it. Right. Like, I look at that and I go, look, I've changed as a person. My opinions have changed. My thoughts have changed. You know, part of what what I get out of our podcasting time is the dialogue back and forth and the fact that sometimes these ideas haven't been fleshed out. Right. Like just like the conversation back and forth helps me to flesh it out. And like over time, some of my opinions have changed. Like my opinions of women in ministry has changed completely Mm. from, you know, the beginning. Uh, And I mean, I've said some really stupid things. I mean, you remember this years ago, I said something really stupid and this one gal was like really offended, rightly so in my opinion. And she reached out and like, was like, I'm so offended by this and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, I apologize. You're, you're totally oh, man, right. I've had those too. I screwed up. Yep. And you know, all I can do is say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. Obviously I don't even know who you are, but I did it. And there, there yeah. are times when I feel that that's appropriate. And there are times when it's like, hey, you know what? You know, go pound sand. I, I really don't care what you think about that. Like, it's, it's, 
you're, you're trying to hold me to a standard that's in your mind that doesn't exist anywhere else other than. So, I mean, there's there's like this mix and this battle that you got to deal with when it comes to cancel culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the part that people maybe haven't clued into is that um, cancel culture is usually not a critical thinking movement. It's an emotive response to something like you said, like I'm supposed to go back to the 90s or back when I said something. The reality is that everybody's sensitivities have changed. Um, as a culture, as a society, things that would have aired on TV um, would not now because our collective palette has shifted over the last 10 years as a culture. Culture shifts and changes. People become aware. Like if you had looked at uh, American culture um, in the 70s versus the 90s and those 20 years because of the work that Hollywood did specifically to raise uh, awareness about issues African-Americans were dealing with. Totally different, right? Um, that generation through media was really being educated about, hey, there is a struggle. Hey, these things, you know, we didn't know all the things that happened historically. Then in our time, you and I were an early adopter of Black Lives Matter when it first came out before it got hijacked by money and opportunists and then got glued on to everything else and then um, had people steering it into corruption. We agreed with the initial thing and got behind it. We did not then later agree with the movement it became. And you may have differed. I just remember you and I, like we were planning in urban Long Beach and we knew like, hey, we encountered these issues that are trying to be spoken about in the first wave, right? But before uh, George Floyd, you and I had had just talked yeah, about I that. Think, well, I think a lot of that too, there, there was a, it's almost like talking to a Mormon. We use the same terms, but they mean completely different things. Like even the term Black Lives Matter, like so many white people were offended by that because they took that as only Black Lives Matter. And what Black people were saying is no Black Lives Matter as well. But it was like, it was it was two different cultures, not even understanding the terms that each other was using. Yeah. And it just, it it led to a great opportunity for immense battles bickering hatred between two sides that i think probably agree more than they disagree <laughs> i mean honestly, yeah. i think I think, I think the thing that that we kind of have to look at is are we asking the right question right with with cancel culture like when i look at it you know barry and andrew and i were on a team leadership podcast the other day <laughs> excuse me and what happened was um Barry asked the question about, you know, imposter syndrome with the young generation. And apparently that's something they struggle with. Now, I don't think your generation and mine struggle with that as much. And the reason probably was we were not um, in a performance mindset through social media all the time. Like social media has it, you're always on. You're you're like it's showtime. You know you're you're performing, and I think the thing with our podcast, we're like, no, we're not doing that. Like we're 
you know, it's kind of like uh, what Gen-, Gen X, right? Gen X grabs social media and goes, yeah, we don't care, right? We're just going to do our thing. And that is maybe the difference because they grew up in this world of cancel culture. But the imposter syndrome, I mentioned, I just said, you know, is that is that really the right question, you know, uh, that they should be asking? I think the right question they should be asking was um, whether or not, you know, not <clears throat> not um, whether you're an imposter or whatever. But I was like, you need to ask whose power are you doing this by? It's really about dependence on the Holy Spirit. It's not about being an imposter or being what people perceive you to be. That doesn't matter. What really matters, and, and I get the, all this theology from Corinthians where Paul says, I care very little, whether I'm judged by you or any other human authority, but one thing I do, you know, he talks about how he he, he lives with his eye to God. And then at one point he, you know, and early on in the book, I mean, if you need a kind of like a philosophy of ministry when it comes to other people's opinions, Corinthians is a place to go. But Paul ultimately is like, hey, I came to you in weakness, fear, and trembling. So that's the imposter syndrome question. You can go and listen to that on Team Leadership Podcast. But for this, I think we have to define the question. What is the right question? What is it? that is bothering me about cancel culture what's the underlying cause of the angst what do you think it is that that ministers are afraid of when it comes or planners or whoever it is um what do you think they're afraid of when it comes to cancel culture i don't i don't know do you think they are afraid of cancel culture i think they are i think a lot of people are now going to tailor their words. They're going to be careful, which I think being careful with your words is a biblical concept. Um, I think, you know, not being misunderstood. Like, I mean, Matthew 22, right? The whole chapter is the Pharisees trying to lay elaborate traps for Jesus. And, you know, I kind of use the illustration of pitfall. Back in the 80s, we had that video game, you know, you're hopping over logs, you're swinging across pits, you're you know, that that's what Jesus is doing that whole chapter. And it and he keeps giving the reaction like the crowd was amazed. The crowd was stunned, you know, like the crowd was impressed. They're they're impressed. But Jesus is sidestepping all these traps. I do think there's a lot of uh, pitfalls and, and traps for us today in cancel culture. I, I, I do think I think what we have this dichotomy, right? There's a sense in which I'm as a minister of the gospel. I'm meant to proclaim Jesus, and I want to proclaim him far and wide. Cancel culture is a stranglehold that comes and says, all right, um, you no longer have a platform to share about your passion or whatever it is. We, the gatekeepers, because the the social media was, hey, all the old gatekeepers, like the TV stations and radio DJs, they're dead, man. They're gone. No more gatekeepers. Shunk. Now there's still gatekeepers. It, all it all it takes is somebody to target you and to start bring you know casting aspersions, like you said, digging stuff you said up and out, and then boom! Now suddenly there are gatekeepers again. So I feel like what people are afraid of is losing their platform, right? Like Mark Driscoll, that dude lost his platform, you know. Um, other people in uh, Christianity have lost their platform. Uh, I could, you know, 
go through the list probably. And we would all, I just don't want to start naming names, but people that lost their platform, they had a big platform. And I think where people are scared is, okay, if I lose my platform because of my own sin, that's one thing. But if I lose my platform for doing what's right or saying what God might want me to say, that's a two-edged sword. Now I'm in a conundrum. I have a ministry to preach to the masses, but if preaching to the masses causes that ministry to go away, do I still want to preach to the masses? Well, do you... I don't know, man. I mean, I get that there are some people who are concerned about that, but, but honestly, I I think that someone who's who's really looking at being in ministry as a career, not as a calling. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, but see that maybe that's the right question that we got to ask. Why are you afraid? What are you afraid of? Right. Yeah, because I, I I just I can't think of most of the guys that you and I have <laughs> talked to and work with. I just can't see them being concerned with preaching the gospel and getting canceled for it. And let's face it, like right now, the big issues are going to be, um, you know, LGBTQ, whatever the I can't keep those letters straight, but you know what I'm saying? Like. It's going to be something related to that. It's going to be something related to women's rights. Um, it's going to be the hot topic social issues. And I will say this: there is a there is a great sense of freedom that we enjoy here in the states that not everyone enjoys around the world, like Canada especially, like in ministry. It's not just they're going to cancel you. They might jail you for what you say. I mean, it. they have, they're literally facing the consequences for what they believe on a daily basis. Yeah. And so we've got uh, Jordan Peterson. It's ironic, isn't it? Jordan Peterson wasn't that well, though. Um, you know, he, he really kind of. Uh, soared to superstardom. And again, getting back to what is the real question? Do you want to be a superstar? I, I, I want to come back to that. But Jordan Peter <clears throat> Peterson, it was when he refused to obey the law that said you may not uh, misgender or you must use this language. Now he came out and said, look, I in my classes, I use whatever pronouns people ask me to. The problem I have is that you made a law telling me I have to. And his side hobby is studying um, communism, communist regimes. So that that's his hobby. If you go into his house, um, in the forward to his book, uh, is it 10 rules, 12 rules for life? I read it. I don't remember, but I think it was 12 rules for life. The guy who writes the forward says, if you go into his house, it's filled with communist propaganda posters. And Peterson was the one who came out and said, I ideology is one of the most damaging and dangerous things on the planet. Because it, then once you get hold of an ideology, it 
justifies any wrongdoing on your part to uphold that altruistic ideology. For example, the people on the side of like the trans rights, but trans people have rights. Like nobody's denying trans people rights, but people on the side of, you know, that are kind of, you know, uh, posturing and, um, you know, trying to uh, act on the side of, of people with trans issues, they are literally um, attacking, persecuting, uh, um, going against the rights of religious people, the whole different opinions. So they're trampling over the rights of religious freedom simply because they have this ideology. But anyways, Jordan Peterson, if if he hadn't made that stand, he would have never, we wouldn't have heard of him. Hmm. That's you interesting. Know? I never really thought about it in terms of ideology, but you're, you're totally right. Because the cancel culture in itself is you don't believe what I believe. You don't think what I think. Therefore, I'm taking away your life. I'm going to do whatever I can to damage you. Yeah. I'm going to call your boss. I'm going to get you fired. I'm going to, and it's really because I disagree with you. Right. I have a different opinion than you. Now it's usually on a topic that is so important to someone that they just want to, they want to end you right? because it's so important to them. And they don't want to enter a conversation about the topic because it's like, how dare you think that, you know, I can't, whatever, fill in the blank. Yeah. And, um, but I never thought about it in terms of ideology, but I think you're right on that. That's, that's what's driving people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's funny because, um, then you have the question, do I want to be a rock star? Well, you shouldn't be wanting to be a rock star in ministry. Right. I mean, you know, there's that that time where John and James, their mommy comes and says, hey, you know, can my boys, can they sit at your right and left? Because they're my boys, you know, and that's that's a very mom thing to do. I love that the other disciples are all cheesed off. Like it it actually tells you that the other disciples were mad, you know, that, that <laughs> John and James's mom asked for them to sit at the right and left. And 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 I think. A lot of people in ministry and my, you know, myself included, occasionally, yeah, we'll get a little like salty, like, hey, how come that person, you know, like I, I did this, but nobody, that person blew up over this, you know? And it's a, it's a fleshing. Like if we're totally honest about it, and <laughs> this is a church planner podcast, we're going to be honest. We're not going to pretend it's not there. I've had other ministers stub me. Then, and the best I can think is, well, you know, like we were doing the same thing, but maybe that was the problem. We were doing the same thing. And that person didn't want to, didn't want to share, you know, or <laughs> maybe just wasn't interested in talking like, yeah, I got better things to do and talk to you, Peyton, or whatever. But there have been uh, times, I mean, I could, I could give some specifics that might seem like, yeah, that just seems kind of weird, but, um, but I've been there too. You know, I mean, I, I think all of us have, you know, sometimes you can look at it in, in a platform world. You can look at someone who has a bigger platform. It used to be the size of your church. You know, it used to be the popularity of preacher. Now it's social media platform. And man, did ministers take the social media 
because, you know, the pump was prime. Being a popular preacher, having a big church, you know, uh, appealing to the crowds. It was all just wired for social media. Um, but there was always talk in the church of watering down the message of the word of God to attract more. And back in the 90s, you know, you would talk about seeker sensitive. And I was always kind of on the fence, like, I'm never going to be cool watering down the word of God. But I kind of get the seeker mentality, like, hey, let's reach people where they're at because I'm apostolic and I'm a missionary. So I'm always thinking, well, what do we got to ditch to reach people more? Like, I'm always cool with that. Let's have that conversation. But, um, but yeah, I think that's always been a danger is you what know, are you? Yeah. No, I was just going to say, you you actually reminded me of something that happened to <laughs> us. And I want to try and be uh, as nondescriptive as possible as I tell this story. <laughs> this is becoming a trend with us, isn't it? Well, I have to, I have to cloak this figure in shadows, but. I, well, I do because. I'm not looking to 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 pick a fight with this yeah. particular group, but there, you and I had the Church Planner magazine for years and years, and we had all these really cool videos that we made up, and we had one really cool video, and I'm not going to say what it was, but it was yeah. really cool. It was on our website, and you know, homeboy calls me up, hey, you know what? I really like what you guys are doing there with uh, you know Church Planner magazine and. Then I saw this video, man, and and uh, it was really uh, and like he wanted us to take it down because it was something from his culture, and he didn't like it. And you and I were like, "Dude, this is freaking rad! Like, how are you not? <laughs> how do you not love?" Oh, your I remember that. Yeah, and and he's like, "Oh, you know, I'd really like to promote your podcast to all of our people." And I just remember I said to him, "I go, dude." If that video offends you, do not promote our podcast. I guarantee you, right. we're going to offend you like crazy in our podcast because yeah. we don't play that game. We don't, we don't really. Yeah. Well, it was kind of funny. I, I do remember that. Yeah. Like, Hey, you need me. I will, I will promote you. You're like, yeah. it was kind of funny how it was we're positioned like, that way. And we're like, you know, don't promote us then. Cool. Yeah. You know? And it wasn't even like the, because I am, I'm actually very sensitive to the things that, that that individual raised, but yeah, I mean, what's really funny is I think at a certain point you, you, you will realize you are always going to offend somebody. It doesn't matter what you do. Anyone who's on here, who's a leader. I looked at that as he was looking for something to be offended about because there was nothing offensive in that video. Yeah. It yeah. was just a cool video. And I was like, dude, if you got an issue with that, that's on your side. Right. That, that's literally all on you. It, it's got nothing to do with the video. It was not offensive in any way. That's just you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can remember. It's funny. You know, I, here I am wearing a, you know, um, Shokusagi uh, Ninja 80s B movie uh, Is shirt. Is those t-shirts that if you pull it over your head, it gives you the little eye slap? Aren't all T-shirts like that? No, I those are amazing. That video is so awesome. But no, I I remember um, wanting to publish uh, something with Ninja in the title, and um, the publishers were just like, "No, no, we're, we we can't do that." And I was speaking at the Pacific, uh, the West Coast Pacific Japanese Conference, and I just asked him. I happened to be that week, and I said, "Hey guys, I got this book." 
that's coming out. And here's the title I'm thinking of. And they go, yeah, that's fine. Ninjas are awesome. (laughs) Okay. You know, like if anywhere I was just going to by Providence be, you know, was the West Coast Pacific Japanese uh, conference um, speaking at, you know, that that was the place to be. And they were just like, no, you know, and they kind of like gave me some great guidelines for they said, hey, if you're ever referencing like Asian culture in specific, follow these rules. And I was so helped. It wasn't cancel or uh, cancel culture. It wasn't this. It was a sensitivity. And I, it was really helpful. And I've, I've used that over the years. But um, you will just find like, like you said, you're always going to have people get mad at you. For stuff. It doesn't matter what you do. And what I do today might be culturally acceptable today, but 20 years from now, someone right. might go, hey, you need to apologize for what you did. This is where it comes down to for me. Um, I see crowds as pooled ignorance, right? I don't respect crowds. I don't put much stock in what crowds think. Um, I don't think Jesus did the number of times the crowds wanted to keep following him. And he said, he turns around and goes, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Then you can follow me. And they're like, oh, gross. You know, we don't want that. He's like, all right. You know, contrast it with Peter who says, where else can we go, Lord? Because it says almost they left him. Uh, Where else can we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus wanted that. That's what he wanted. Someone who goes, it's hard. I don't know about this, but you know what? You alone have the words of eternal life, Lord. I got nowhere else to go for that. And so, but, you know, then there were times where it's like, then the crowd want to come and, and make him king by force. But Jesus knew what was in the heart of men. Well, now we're getting to it, right? So I think, you know, the, the popular delusions and madness of crowds, you and I, even pre-COVID, right? We sat there. And you and I on our podcast, and we knew we'd catch heat for it. Um, and I didn't fall on one side or the other. And I, I said, I'm just going to pay attention. But one thing I know, you know, because I'm medical and I'm going to, you know, I've got a medical background. I'm not anti-vax. I don't, you know, but I'm going to watch this carefully because I'm just seeing signs right now of people who uh, there, there is this. How do I put it? Um, there is there there are signs right now that people are starting to lose their minds. I, it was in the very beginning, and I could just hear the emotive language behind everything. It hadn't started. The mandates hadn't start, started, but the panic and hysteria was starting up. And I just said, just watch this space. I think I think people are going to just polarize over this. And we called it early. And I just said, you know, when I start to see that and I lose the ability of people to critically think, um, then I'm out. Like, I'm not going to go along with it. I'm going to sit back and just watch. And that that's exactly what happened. It, it was a perfect example of, of an example. And then that became an excuse to uh, use cancel culture and ruin people's lives. Well, you know, what's funny about that is, I mean, the. We talked, I think it was last week about politics and how do you navigate that and cancel culture and politics are very closely linked. Yes. And I think it's because in a lot of ways we see politics as our savior. You know, it's, it's my guy that's going to save our country. (laughs) Like, my gosh, dude, how much more of that crap are we going to listen to for the next, like, 
year and a half or however long until the election. It's like, oh, it's, it's got to be my guy. My guy is going to save America and the other guy is going to destroy it. And it's like, dude, seriously, I got to listen to that. But if you remember at the beginning of all that COVID stuff, it was like, first of all, it was Trump's vaccine and no one wanted to take it because it was Trump's vaccine. Right. And it was too quickly developed. And then literally, as soon as he's out and Biden's in, oh, we have to take the vaccine. And then right. the other side's like, no, no, we don't trust it. It's too quick. Right. It was like, literally, they just switched. Yep. It was overnight. 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 And it was like, what? Like, it was just weird, right? Because it, like, no one was being. And we consistent. fell prey to it. We fell prey to it, like, as yeah. a nation. Like, people were so ignorant and so. Uh, the, there's such a lack of critical thinking and you know so so it's hard for me because what what people often do this is the funny thing right and and i think even like I, uh, some of my family members that are african american i think they would 100% agree with this it's comical to them to watch uh people today like white people post george floyd try to act like they were switched on this whole time and then to go back 200 years or like they did a, a poll this week that showed how many of the, the presidents were had ancestors that were slave owners. And it was all of them, except ironically, Donald Trump, right? The one guy that they tried to, and I'm not promoting Trump here or anything. I'm, I'm not a Trump fan, but here's the deal, right? And I'm not a Trump hater either, by the way, just so nobody got excited just then, you know, not that anyone gives a rip what I think, but I'm, again, I'm, I'm the middle on so many things. I'm always like, yeah, I just don't believe the hype either way. Right. And, and, but the, the funny thing is, is that, um, where's it going with that? Gosh. Um, so, so, you know, with the, with the ancestors, all the presidents, do we need all the presidents that are alive now to come out and apologize for their ancestors as if the people they're apologizing to would not have owned slaves had they lived in that time? I just think it's hilarious that people today with today's education and sensitivities and post-history um, will be like, I would have never, you know, like I just went to the Holocaust Museum. I, I literally heard someone telling his dad, why did people do this? The answer would have been because people are selfish and stupid. Self-preservation, you yeah. know, will, will, is a big, big factor in why people stayed silent. Um, the, in fact, the, the biggest, uh, I can't remember which, uh, ghetto it was in, um, might have been Berlin. I can't remember where it was or, you know, but the, the, hugest revolution they had like in a, where they actually won um and then i can't remember how many days they held the city the jews and then um and then the the army came in and wiped the nazis came in and wiped them out uh almost to the last man um was when they realized holy crap they're gonna kill us all and then they rose up right mm -hmm. there was still this idea and it was all like cancel culture like We'll go along. We, you know, do we don't want to stick out. We don't want to this. We don't want to that. And so there was this, this conforming. And, you know, like I said, I just walked through the Holocaust Museum in DC where it kind of, you walk through the history of everything. Like if, if you've ever been through the LA Holocaust Museum, it takes you through the experience. But the one in DC is a little different where it's not so much the experience of it. 
Um, like they put you in the shower rooms and everything. It's it's pretty horrific and shocking in LA. But in the the you see it slowly um unraveling. You see how each little step was easier to take, and then you get there. But for someone today to imagine in their arrogance, like complete hubris, that they would have acted differently than how history like there were people, a very small minority of people in history, but you wouldn't have been one of them, most likely. Um, so that, to me, is the truth that I ought to get is this humbling of, holy crap, I could be caught up so easily in on the wrong side of things. That should make us alone try to ask the question, where is the prophetic voice that I need to be or have in today's world of cancel culture? Not how do I get to go longer? How do I get to be a rock star? Like I said, Jordan Peterson, I, I, I look at it this way. If God wants you to be a rock star, it'll happen. You keep being faithful and you keep preaching the word of God. If God wants you to, to sort of the top because of cancel culture, uh, like Jordan Peterson did, that'll happen. If he doesn't, <laughs> it won't. And you'll get canceled and lose your platform. And maybe you'll rediscover the joys of local on the ground ministry to a small community. And, you know, so be it. You know, that might happen to you and me, Pete. Probably will one day. And you know what? That'd be, be you. Okay. I'll still be me. <laughs> Can I come on your podcast when that happens? I'll be like this business guy that just sits there and goes, well, I don't know much about business, but <laughs> I'll be your Ed McMahon. No, it's funny. I think you bring up like a really good point, though, because I think every culture has blinders to certain things that are happening because it's culturally acceptable. Yes. And um, I mean, you can even see that in, in the Old Testament, right? I mean, oh, God time. said, don't commit adultery. <laughs> so what does Israel do? Hey, we're going to have multiple lives. No adultery. It's like, no, that no. But then it was culturally acceptable. Yeah. And so everyone, you know, gone along with it. Okay, this is cool. We're, we're all good here. And so, yeah, I think you bring up a really good point. Like, what, what do we have in today's world that's become culturally acceptable that we're going to look back on later and go, what were we thinking? And what did we lose, brother? Yeah. Like, what, what did we lose that the gener? This is why I think it's important to read the generation before us despite their weaknesses. So like someone might look back and say, well, you know, Whitfield, you know, he owned slaves. Yeah, he did. So, but still read him. Don't cancel him. Uh, I get the sensitivities in quoting people that were slave owners for, for modern times. I get that because you can quote them as an authority and be like, well, they didn't know about this, but I do think we have a duty to the church to say, but you know what? They probably wouldn't have watched the crap on TV you're watching. They would have probably questioned your Christianity too. Yeah. The stuff you let slip. And, you know, or, you know, uh, maybe, maybe they, uh, like one of the things to me is giving. Uh, there's not a lot of sacrifice in Christianity these days, right? They would have, that would have boiled their noggin. Like, really? You guys don't give to mission. Like, you don't give to the church. 
What's wrong with you guys? How can you even be saved? We're a man's treasures. It's hard to be also. We have major blunt. Really? You guys don't set a day aside a week to worship God and to pray and to look after your souls. You guys just wait. Church attendance on average is once a month for the average American churchgoer. What you rotate, you, you do this instead. I, I'm just saying like we need to continue to read the generations before acknowledging this was a glaring blind spot on that person's life that I can see from my perspective. The danger is I don't see my own blind spots. That's the problem. And unless I'm reading people that my culture may cancel, I won't be awakened to the blind spots that my culture will never tell me about. But maybe by reading these guys, it raises an awareness of, oh, okay, you know, so, um, and that, you know, we're not going to have God's kingdom. God's kingdom is what I, I do believe that the Me Too movement was part of the kingdom of God. I, I know that's a super uh, divisive statement right there because a lot of people were hurt by uh, it's part of cancel culture, but anything that's going to lift up the, the vulnerable is always to me going to seem prophetic. And even if it devolves into something else at the heart, you know, no human uh, enterprise or government or whatever will have. But I keep seeing like with the civil rights and the, to me in the last hundred years, that was the kingdom of God on full, like full blast, just coming and wreaking societal havoc in a good way and causing gospel ruckus. Um, that to me is a big deal. And you can always point back to the church with a non-believer and say that was the church at its best in the last hundred years. And people go, huh, you know, I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. Led by a minister. Um, central gathering place was churches. Um, boom, boom, boom. Same with the, you could argue the American Revolution. Studies have been done on that to show that um, much of, and, and I'm not a big believer in mixing church and politics, but that was where um, some of the good in the church was done, right? So you, you, I saw the Patriot with Mel Gibson. I know they went and recruited in churches, <laughs> but they did. That's, I mean, that's a really well-known, established fact of history. Super well documented. Um, well, there's a statue. There's a statue in Washington somewhere that my buddy was telling me about. It's a preacher who's got a Bible in one hand and he's got a sword in the other. He's like pulling back his, his coat and he's got a, a sword sheath right there. He's like, yeah. yeah, that was that was the American Revolution. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny, right? Because the generations before us might look at our Christianity and say, really? So you guys would rather accept tyranny than fight for the, for freedoms for oppressed peoples? And we might look like, for example, like there are people today that they, and, and I'm not, Look, everybody can have their opinion on this. There would be people that say, oh, no, hey, I'm passive. Like, I'm a pacifist. Um, We just put that in God's hands and let him do. We will never. We've sworn off violence. And in a way, I think that's kind of beautiful. You know, I I get why they would say that. Um, But someone who went and liberated concentration camps might look and say, but do you understand that? the millions and millions of lives we got to save by going and fighting a war against Hitler. Like, do you understand that you're flying? So you have to be able, like you, it, it comes full circle, our conversation. We have to be able to listen. 
We have to be able to hear these differing viewpoints because two Christians might come to this issue. And like I said, I think the previous generations would look at us and say, really? J- just like the, the previous generation's view of suffering as opposed to today. Today's generation might see suffering as I can't afford plastic surgery, right? And I, I'm suffering. Um, pray for me. The generation previous would be like, well, I've buried eight of my 13 children, um, you know, over the years and uh, that's suffering, right? So <laughs> to a certain degree, you look at the different generations and go, we need to learn, uh, from each other. Maybe, maybe, maybe not so much from the plastic surgery suffers, but you know, you get what I'm saying. No, I do because uh, I, I would say I wouldn't say the plastic surgery. I would say you know suffering is I can't afford uh, Paramount Plus. You know I can only do Netflix. <laughs> I can only afford Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Channel, ESPN, and because that's bundled with my my Verizon phone. But yeah, I mean, yeah. So what do they call that? Uh, first world problems or something like that? Indeed, indeed. So, yeah, I, you know, Lloyd Jones used to call this chronological superiority, the belief that you would look back and, and find, um, you know, generations prior to you that, that didn't understand. I mean, even, even on a scientific level, you know, uh, we always talk about the discovery of penicillin, you know, that really changed the course of World War II. But then we dig up these icemen, you know, that are chewing on the mold that, you know, some of the penicillins come from and, they're chewing on it because they got this abscess in their mouth and they're like trying to, you know, medicate with their own, you know, herbal antibiotics. And But they're dead. That's why we dug them up. <laughs> but, you know, that whole thing of like, what have we lost as cultures? Um, the fact that the Dark Ages lost the ability to, to build the structures the Roman Empire could because it had an understanding of cement that was lost to time. Uh, during the dark ages. So then they weren't able to, to build like that, like cultures and societies lose things. The church loses things, um, society, culture, it loses things. And then they resurface again. So we just need to be aware of that. That's important. But anyways, um, in answer to the question, what to do with, uh, uh, cancel culture, um, keep preaching the word of God faithfully. I think that's the key and, uh, don't give an inch on that. So, all right. Well, Hey guys, uh, I guess that's it, right? If, uh, if you want to check out what I'm doing, uh, head on over to newbreedtraining.com and, uh, you can, um, sign up for our coming course. It's going to be in the new year or not in the new year, sorry, the new school year, uh, September, we are starting a, um, disciple like Jesus, which starts in the old Testament. So you get that foundation. What did Paul know when he came to church planning? Uh, he had a foundation in the Old Testament. What did Jesus operate from the Old Testament? So we're going to give you uh, some foundations on that so you can apply that to church planning. And that'll be an eight-week course, but uh, we'll give you more details uh, in the show notes when you listen. And remember, if you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing.